What's up, everybody? This is Elliot Terrell, and you're listening to Magical Thinking, brought to you by ArtofMagic.com. Our guest for this episode is the incredibly and amazingly talented Daniel Prado. If you don't already know, he wrote the theme song for this podcast. So the song that you're listening to right now, and that you heard a couple seconds before I started speaking, he wrote that. He also performed it, he edited it, we worked together to make it, and it sounds super awesome, and I love it, and I am so grateful to him for it. This episode is such a great one. We spent a lot of time talking. Daniel was in town for a trip with his wife, and he did a lecture for Art of Magic. It was awesome. We had such a great time. That'll be on the site in the next couple of weeks. We talked about his bluesy musician background. We talked about, of course, growing up in, in Brazil. Actually, there's a lot in here about Brazil, and it's it's really insightful what Daniel has learned through his travels and his experiences, and we talk about that some. We also talk about the difference between doing something you love as a job and doing something you love as a hobby and, and how important it is to separate those two things. We talk a little bit about building a show. Daniel saw Derek Delgadio's in and of itself while he was in town and he absolutely loved it and it inspired him um, to continue working on a show that he wants to do in Brazil. We talk a lot about knowing yourself and the way that you change based off of your experiences when you travel and, and constantly learning and developing who you are as an individual. And of course we talk about magic. So this is an amazing episode. I had such a good time. I was so glad that we got to spend some some time to really get into it. And uh, yeah, this one, I loved it. It was awesome. You guys are really going to enjoy it. Of course, follow us on all the social media channels. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash magicalthinkingpodcast. You should also like our Facebook page for Art of Magic, which is facebook.com slash mystery, And follow us on Instagram at instagram.com slash mystery and instagram.com slash treasurywonder. Sign up for our newsletter so you can stay up to date on all the cool stuff that we're doing. And you can use the coupon code TRAVEL, all caps, to get 20% off of Daniel's material. Anyway, get into the show. Enjoy it. Let me know what you think by emailing podcast at artofmagic.com or by messaging me on Facebook at uh, the Magical Thinking Facebook page. All right. Talk to you later. Well, your trip's been good so far? Yeah, yeah, it was awesome, man. But uh, the, the, the only strange part, though, is LA people are so stressed. <laughs> like every time, bam, bam, honking with the, the cars, and you have a lot of you. I don't know, you Americans, I'm saying. <laughs> Lots of That's tiny funny. rules for parking, for streets, and it's just so different. Yeah. And oh, here you, you can park for 30 minutes by 3 p.m. until 6 p.m. and on like 10, 10 meters away you can park for two hours but only for 6 p.m. it's so complicated and it was like three times we tried to to go to to go somewhere like uh, I think it was uh, we tried to do the hiking yesterday but on Saturdays and Sundays you cannot park there is a, a a bird or something. Somebody walked by. I'm gonna go close the shade, but I, I'm, I'm still listening to you. And uh, we couldn't we couldn't park over there because of the Sundays and the neighbors. And uh, we tried to go to the Griffith Center yesterday too, and we we got the the where the GPS took us, and there was like signs saying GPS wrong, take another way, don't disturb the neighbors. And oh my god, so many rules! And you stop your car like 
you you are with a with a sign a red sign but you're on the right and you're signaling that you're turning right and it, it doesn't matter people people behind you start me, 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 me. you need to turn left oh so stressed <laughs> and it, and I live in near Sao Paulo Sao Paulo is very stressful but I'm used to it you know I can drive around and it doesn't matter you can cut people and people usually don't honk as much as LA people <laughs> but in spite of all that it was a it was a nice nice trip everything's so beautiful over here so yeah I I like LA I would like to move up here but every time I come here as soon as I sort of get into the greater Los Angeles area I just feel this aura of dread and and like sadness and desperation that's it's like you too. can I feel it that. yeah i felt that too i was telling bianca about that today i don't know if if it is because people expect too much about being successful and it's not just any successful it's successful super superstar superstar and you see people like doing stuff and walking and And you kind of feel that too. I, I told Bianca about exactly this. I don't know if it was to, to today earlier or it wasn't tomorrow, or yesterday. But I, I was saying that this, this feels so strange because I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just my point of view. But if you're if you're telling me this, I can, <laughs> I can relate to that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, yeah it's. I, I think there's so many people that move out here and they're like, I'm going to make it big. And they're yeah. just like, you know, toiling away as a waitress or a, or a waiter. Yeah. And, and they just sad. Man. Yeah. Because they expect too much. They expect that they, they're, they're going to be like, now it's my turn yeah. to be successful. It's yeah. kind of a, yeah, it makes me uncomfortable. There's only one other place. I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before, but there's only one other place in the world that I've been that feels the same way Hollywood and, and Los Angeles does. And that's New Orleans, Louisiana. Really? Yeah. It feels very dark and sad. Oh, that's strange. I, I, I've never enjoyed going to Southern Louisiana, which is the state where I was born and raised. Yeah. And I've never enjoyed it because of that reason. It just feels so like heavy Really dark, yeah. It just it freaks me out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like. I don't know. Maybe because. Well, I never, I never been so much places and different places. Maybe to. To feel that, because there is, there is some kind of, beauty in in sadness too. Like oh, absolutely. You can you can be inspired by that in some level. But I don't know. And I, I feel inspired by it out here. I feel inspired by it in, in Los Angeles. A little bit because like these people, like the despair and, and hopelessness that I feel, there's still like a just a, a shade of optimism, like a twinge of optimism. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm still gonna make it. Yeah. Just, it sucks now, but eventually. <laughs> yeah. But see, like the reason I don't like Yeah, the reason I don't like Southern Louisiana is because there's like a bunch of like weird witchcraft and voodoo and stuff. And yeah, that, that yeah, I'm yeah. like, <laughs> I don't mess with that. Um, but yeah, I, I I agree. There is a beauty and sadness, and I yeah, kind of. For me, all the all the, the stuff about the uh, the voodoo craft and, and stuff mm. like that, it kind of it kind of uh, I don't know if I can because of course I've never been there, so I cannot tell you uh, on the same level. But I kind of get 
get attracted to that because I think because of my bluesy black background, yeah, yeah. all the stories about yeah. uh, the blues man and the voodoo and stuff like that. I, I'm curious about it. I don't sure. believe in, in in that, but yeah, uh, it kind of gets a, a nice feeling about it, but. In there, it should be different because it's real for them, right? Yeah, exactly. So, That's what makes yeah, me feel weird about yeah. it. Is I know it's not real, yeah, but yeah. people really in Brazil it. we have a religion um, that's an African religion because Brazil has a, a, a very great African uh, culture mm -hmm. inside it, and one one of, it's not as how do I say that? It's not that famous as the Catholic religion in Brazil. Brazil is one of the the, the most, the greatest religion, uh, Catholic countries in the world. But we have a religion, Candomblé, and um, which is approximate to voodoo. So it's, a, because all of them are, are mm -hmm. African, so we have that, especially in, in North Brazil, we have Bahia, which is a very, a very religious state but with candomblé and this african religions and they believe in that they are they live that that so it's not a matter of believing or not if, if you are not a believer in that but for them it's a it's real you know they do yeah. uh, uh offers and and in voodoo there's another name uh, i can't remember now like ritual sacrifices yeah and stuff kind like of that. this kind of stuff with oh. chickens on yeah. the corners they do that <laughs> and you can spot that in every in Brazil. It's very it's common. You can suddenly drive be, be, be driving in my town, for instance, and you can cross for, with with some like offering and uh, a dead chicken. It's much more rare, but you can find some fruits and uh -huh. yeah. And there was a guy when I lived with my my parents. There was a guy living next door, and he was from this religion and. Um, he sometimes did some offerings and some fruits on his roof and that attracted a lot of birds, pigeons. And one day I entered my, my, my room and it was a giant pigeon because he just didn't know what to do and entered my room and he was like on the back of uh, the side of the door and I was so scared because this was not giant. And I, I managed to pick him up and <laughs> take him outside. How did he get into your room? It was strange because I entered and I I opened the door. I felt I felt a presence or something. <laughs> it was strange, you know, because I felt this presence. But I said, what the fuck is going on? Because, and I don't know, I, maybe I, I've heard something. And when I looked at my the back of my door, there was this speech. And, uh, <laughs> lots of bird poop and oh my god it was ridiculous but i took i took him out oh my gosh yeah i that kind of i would have been deeply disconcerted by that yeah that's strange um how did you how did you was it, okay so i want to talk about music before magic did you get it how how when did you get started in magic? Just when? In magic, yeah, two thousand and five. Okay, so so fairly recently. Yeah. Okay, so then I want to talk about like your 
Brazilian upbringing, and then how how did you get into blues? Is there like a big bluesy no. culture down there? How did no, that no, happen? No, no, no. Oh, I started I started playing the guitar in two thousand and oh my god, uh, I started playing the guitar in nineteen ninety six. I was sixteen years old, and um, well, my my music background was like Guns N' Roses and Aerosmith or something like that, mm-hmm. pop rock. Sure. And um, oh, I had a, a I have a, a an uncle who asked me like, "Have you heard blues? Or do you want to play blues?" And I said, ah, no, "I don't care as much." But I didn't knew, I didn't know blues at at that time. Mm-hmm. In two, in 1997, my father gave me a Budgie Guy CD, and I was just in love about that. Like the first time I listened to it, I was just like hooked, and I I could not stop listening to Buddy Guy and I, I think I probably made a hole in the, the CD because I listened to it a lot and then I I probably knew Steve Ray Vaughan at the time and I was just in love too so these two guys are my my I think my biggest influence in guitar and I started wanting to, to play that so I remember in 1998, uh, uh, this time around, I don't think exactly the date, but I was uh, at a, uh, a winter festival near Sao Paulo and uh, I listened to a, a Brazilian blues band called Blue Jeans and I said, man, I want to do that because it was like a different uh, stuff to do, a different style of music for Brazilians, okay? So I started trying to, to play it and I met a guy who was my neighbor and he played harmonica and when I noticed I was already playing the blues and this was kind of a, a passion for me. I don't think there is a, a blues scene, a very strong blues scene in Brazil and uh, but there is one certainly and we have great guitar players. One of them, uh, Nuno Mindelis, he's a Brazilian uh, He's actually from Angola, but he—I don't remember if he's. Yeah, he's from Angola, but he's naturalized. I don't know if this that if that's the right word for that. But he, his father was like a, a diplomat or something. So mm-hmm. he traveled to Brazil very early, and he he grew up there, and he recorded two two. He made two recordings with Steve Ray Vaughan's band. So he's a very, very important guitar player in sure. Brazil, and, and he's known he's known around the world, of course, and the blues scene. And I stopped playing, not, not that I stopped, but professionally speaking, I stopped playing the blues because I was kind of I was a little a uh, little frustrated because because of Brazil not being a very good place for being a blues guitar player. Yeah. of course you you, you can be one, but. <laughs> you can imagine it's not as easy as I suppose. Not much of a market for it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I got a little frustrated with that. I started giving guitar classes in 2001. So I I kept playing other styles and other bands. Um, I met my wife actually, you know that. I met my wife on a band, but at this band that we played together in 2004, we played like different types of songs and I never played blues with this man. I noticed that uh, 
I had a potential as a guitar player, and I, I, I think I still have, but I'm not willing to be successful in this, this type of thing anymore. I was a very good guitar player at 18 years old, at least for, for if comparing to other blues guitar players at the time. And, but it's so different, and if, of course, very probably, if I were, if I were an American guy, uh, living in LA or New York, <laughs> I would be, I would be playing the blues probably right yeah. now, because, but of course, <laughs> this is so another timeline. So I I can imagine other stuff happening. Probably maybe I don't I wouldn't be playing the blues because of other stuff. And uh, but I, but if I were the same Daniel when I was eighteen in New York, for instance, I could be playing the blues. And be famous. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How did you learn? Did you teach yourself yeah, guitar? Yeah. <clears throat> what was the process for that? Um, well, when I was a kid, I went to I went to keyboard school, and after maybe four months or so, I I just stopped because my teacher kept telling me to read music sheet and write. Uh, homeworks and I hate it so I never liked studying music mm -hmm. and then I, I, I said never liked because I, probably a year a, a year later I went to the drum school and I got the same problem after maybe six months or six months or so um, <coughs> my teacher was like where's your homework you need to do this music sheet stuff and I said oh fuck I don't want that and I stopped and I remember I, I'm going to a, a, an aunt's house and there was a guitar, an acoustic guitar. And I asked her, like, can you lend me the, can you borrow me the guitar so I can go to my town and do some musical, um, musical classes? And, and she said, of course, you can, you can take it. And I took it and I never went to, to school. I started trying to play some chords. I had some friends who played with me and I was like, Oh, how you do that? And suddenly I was on a band playing electric guitar. And in 1996, that's the, the, the moment where I started playing the, the electric guitar. And um, I saw, I never knew how to do solos and this kind of stuff. I was just a basic one. And the guy who was, who, who was the guitar, the, the soloist, He's called Daniel too, and he was so good. And I said, "Man, I want to do that." And I went to my home. I picked up my guitar and started like practicing like three, four, five hours a day. And I probably in one month or two, I was already doing better solos than him. Yeah, just trying to to listen to the solos from the musics from the music on the radio and I don't know figuring it out like the scales and trying to oh this this note is 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 good this one is not so I was trying and suddenly I was mimicking other guitar players and it was like that after probably four years maybe four years or five years there was a, a, a music school that a friend of mine was teaching drums and he called me and said, I was an employee at the time. He called me and said, oh, they, they need a guitar teacher, do you want? And I said, man, I don't know shit about guitar. I just want to just know how to play it. But I don't know theory, I don't know anything. Yeah. And he said, oh, you have a month because they're gonna do a, a, some interviews and if you want, I think you should because you're a good guitar player. And I said, okay, <laughs> let's give it a try. 
So I pick up my stuff, I started studying music sheet and music theory scales like a lot. The things that I've never learned, I never learned at the time because I was just playing, I had to learn. So it was by myself too because I, I bought some books and I started reading and started placing the, the stuff that I already, I already know how to do, but I, I, I needed to know how to teach that. Yeah, yeah. And then I went to the, the, the school and do some, did some kind of magic and they believed me. <laughs> and I, I was there for 12 years being a guitar teacher. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I, in, in 2003, maybe, I was like, uh, I was better at the guitar because teaching is a very good tool to, mm -hmm. to, to learn. You need to, Absolutely. yeah, you need to, to improve yourself every day because your students are, need a better teacher and mm -hmm. you need to, to understand that, that subject to teach them. So I became a very good guitar player in 2000, 2003. And three, and but I noticed I needed a teacher at the time. I noticed that myself wasn't enough anymore. So I went to Sao Paulo. I studied for a year, and with two very good guitar teachers. And then I left because it was already enough for me. I I have I have this kind of, this tendency of trying to teach myself everything that I can. <laughs> I don't know why because I like uh, as I told in the lecture I'm I love to learn. Yep. So I'm always learning anything you know, uh, and uh, I don't mind being a learner. That's the stuff. So I like to to be frustrated. It's strange because I hate it when it's happening. Okay, but I like the feeling of getting over with it and. And noticing that, oh, I can do that. I can learn that. So, even if I've had a teacher, I told I told that a lot, a lot for my students. Like, well, it doesn't matter if you have a teacher. You need to pick up your guitar, get to your house, and try to learn your own stuff. And explore, explore. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. The teacher is just a path, just a a, a, a short way to some subjects because you see when you can learn a lot of things by yourself but yeah. if you have somebody to to tell you oh this is not good if you do it this way you can like and instead of learning that in one year you can learn that in two months so of course the teacher is better mm -hmm. I was talking to Jerry Griffith yesterday and yesterday I don't know maybe two years before <laughs> I kind of lost track of the time and uh, I was saying, what's, what, what is so nice about you here, learning magic, is the type of person that you can exchange knowledge and that we don't have that in Brazil. So, so, it's so strange because suddenly uh, Jeremy's talking, oh, I, I was talking to Babel and I said, fuck, <laughs> that will never gonna happen in there. Yeah. And I, I, I was telling him like on, on their jams, their Monday night jams, they have people who are very experienced and the best in the world. Yeah. So they can talk and they can say, oh, how do you do that? And suddenly you have Steve Forte telling you something because you guys are from here, you travel a lot, it's easier. So it's so beautiful that I think the teacher has this, this, this function, if I can say that. The, the idea of getting you to a place in a shorter place period of time maybe yeah. and and give you some insights that only he only he has because 
of the experience. Yeah, the he's a of. he's a leader on the path. You still have yeah. to take it yourself, but yeah, he yeah, can tell yeah, you yeah. where the yeah exactly where the the handrail is and where the trap door is, and he can tell yeah. you to move around. Yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah, you're right. <clears throat> yeah, that's great. And so then, what? How did you transition then into magic? Well, maybe what what happened was that in two thousand and five. I was like saturated with all the guitar stuff. I was studying a lot. I, I played in a band like in 2004. I played probably more than a hundred shows. Like it was too much. And uh, on top of all, I was like playing two um, two times per week. Every 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 weekend, I play almost in 2004. But I was teaching to from Monday to Saturday, and I had like at the time more than ninety students with me, so it was a hard time. It was very difficult because at the at the weekends it was very very hard to to play late at night and wake up in the morning on the next day to to teach. To teach, yeah. Yeah. So at, at until this point, guitar was. Uh, pleasure, you know. I I can I could I could go to my house and oh I need to to release my stress so relieve my stress so I need to pick pick up my guitar and play a, a little bit. And in two thousand and five, this wasn't possible because I get to my house and I don't want to see the guitar. <laughs> and then I said, man, I don't want that because this is not good. You need to be happy with with the stuff you're doing. So. In 2005, probably in the middle of it, I was without a hobby, and uh, I always loved magic. But uh, this is a strange phrase to do to to, to say because uh, lots of kids like magic, mm -hmm. and when I, when I was a kid, it, it wasn't different. And I had an, an uncle, actually, uh, my mom's uncle, from a town very far away from mine, who was who was a magician. Hold on. You had an uncle. And uh, when I was a kid, my, my mom had an uncle. And um, come over here. My mom had an uncle. And um, he was a, a magician. But I never, I don't remember, I, I met him. But I was so little, I don't think, maybe six years old, maybe six, seven years old. So I don't remember him, actually. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I use him as an excuse, like I had an uncle who was yeah, a magician, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but I never, I never went far enough to be a magician. Like I always, uh, I've always seen magicians performing some stuff on the TV, and I used to talk to my dad like, oh, we should go to a magic store sometimes and, and sometime and buy some stuff and learn how how that's done. But I never went far enough to do that. And in, in, in 2005, looking for a hobby, I, I, was, I probably was watching something from David, David Blaine, like, uh, how do you say that? I was like browsing YouTube and okay. I saw some Blaine's video. I started watching it and I got to the two card money and I was watching that and I said, I'm, I'm gonna learn how to do that. Let me watch it again. And I watched it like, I know, uh, I don't know, maybe 10 times or so. And said, "Man, now I know how that's done. 
let me try to do that. And I pick up some cards. It was ridiculous, but I tried <laughs> to do something like the two card money for my father. And my father said, wow, that's nice. And I said, I think I'm going to learn how to do magic. <laughs> I went to the internet and I was thinking about, oh man, that, maybe that's the time where I can actually go to a magic store because now we have internet. Mm -hmm. And when I was a kid, we, we hadn't. So <laughs> I went to, to the internet and bought some, some bicycle deck of cards. The first time I opened, because you, you guys have bicycle since you were kids, right? And our decks of cards are very different yeah. from the bicycle. So the first time I opened uh, a bicycle deck of cards, the cards were, were like flying all over <laughs> my, my room because it was so, so... Slippery. Slippery, exactly. Yeah. And um, I started trying to do the, the, the two-card money. I bought some DVD. I don't remember exactly which one of them. And on, the, on this magic store. And... When I noticed I was like working with it. <laughs> but I decided that I will never I would never work on the same level that I was doing in, in music in a way that I can keep being passionate about it. Yeah. So the thing is I never wanna work on my my art so much that that could be on the way of doing the the stuff I like. Yeah. The stuff I love. It doesn't want to feel like a job. It doesn't yeah. like you don't want to do it when you don't want to do it. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's that's yeah. it. I, that's one of the reasons that I stopped performing is because like, ugh, I don't want to go do this show tonight, and that's like saying I don't want to do my favorite thing in the world, and that's not a good yeah, feeling to yeah, have. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, and I think the that's that's the way I think. That's the way. That's the reason why I don't do. I don't perform as much as other magicians in Brazil. I could I could have been performing a lot in corporate events right now, mm -hmm. and I've done that. I've done corporate events. I've, I've done parties, small parties. The only thing that I, I I didn't do was my own show. I'm and I want to do that right now. Actually, I was uh, this was first on my list. The show was first on my list and then the lecture mm -hmm. but because of all the circumstances i decided to to do the lecture first and um i'm i'm this type of performer i don't want to be uh the the magician for the corporate events i don't i don't feel like uh, i was listening to piff's uh, podcast and he was saying about being a professional interrupter and as <laughs> I left a lot because it, it is the way I feel you know I yeah. don't like to interrupt people like excuse me yeah can I interrupt you are you a shy guy are you a yeah I'm kind of shy. An introverted person yeah I, I've I've lost a little bit of this because of magic and, and music but when I was a teenager probably I was very uh, introverted and um, but I think the music released me a little bit. So, but but, but I'm uh, antisocial, if I can say that a little <laughs> bit. I, I'm not too fond of people. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> that's the part of of uh, Tamari's theory about loving your audience that I it, it, it kind of I don't know if I can love them. I can like them a little bit, but <laughs> I always get trouble with that. But um, of course, it depends because. It's very different. As a, as a musician, I can relate to that on a different way. When I'm playing, uh, the type of 
the line of work I do with music is I'm actually playing a lot at weddings. Uh-huh. But the thing is, me and my wife, we play together. We have a, a, this acoustic duo and we play with what we want, basically. So we're not the, the classic uh, stereotype wedding band because people don't choose what they want to listen. Yeah. Uh, let me rephrase that. People choose only when when we are playing at ceremonies. Mm-hmm. But even that, they cannot choose everything. They can choose yeah. for one song or two, and the other ones are the ones that I that we already played. So we have a lot of fun playing it. I don't have to be. I and the, and of course, on my career as a musician, I've played a lot of songs that I hated. I don't do that anymore. Yeah. So, but what I what I was wanting what I was trying to say is that when I, when we play we don't play for people that is there only to listen so it's different like for instance for uh, I don't know uh, John Mayer okay he goes to a concert and people pay to watch him mm-hmm. okay they are gonna be screaming of course but they're paying attention to this to, to the show yeah and on my line of work that's not happening people are doing You're like their background stuff. music yeah background so you may music. as well have fun with it and play what you want to play yeah 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 that's the the beauty of it we can we can do whatever we want in terms yeah but in magic when you're doing like corporate events or this this sort of close up in in parties you're kind of doing background magic if you think so on this way people are not there to watch you so what i would like to do is I would like to know how to, to how how it is to be on a stage and people. I, I know that I know that feeling because I've played in in uh, some venues in which I were the 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 the, the main event and yeah. people were were there to watch me. So I know how that how how is that feeling and it's the best in the world. So on this case, you can learn to love your audience because they are there to watch you. So it's different when you sit on your table and you do magic for people who are willing to watch you, and they were there. They they are there to watch you. It's different. Yeah, you can love them. Yeah, you can you can feel like um, like you like people are really interested in what you're doing. And that's very different when you are on a, a different venue and and trying to please people that are not willing to be pleased. Yeah, you don't know them. You don't know if they like I don't know they they son is sick or something like that. And you come and oh I'm sorry, can I interrupt you and do some magic? <laughs> and the guy is not willing to to be pleased. Yeah, so. I think that's that's the the thing I'm looking for right now, and and on this way I can set for uh, some tour dates and do some uh, I don't know ten or twenty shows or something, and okay that's good. Yeah, I've done my magic, and I can rest. Right? I can rest now. I'm trying to 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 do that. Probably when I come to Brazil, I'll, I'll start rewriting my show because I have um, a start of a show, but. After watching Del Gaudius, probably I have lots, <laughs> you have lots, a lot of retooling to do. Yeah, lots of other ideas that I, w- I was already thinking about it, but seeing him kind of inspired me a lot because of the way he approaches magic, mm-hmm. like the way he 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 created magic. Actually, so so I was looking for that, and 
that's the the reason probably why I, why I not I didn't have my show at this time because I'm trying to to have a, a, a very good set and mm -hmm. you have with, a clear goal and you yeah weren't yeah quite there yet. I don't want to go just sit on the table and do some tricks yeah uh, I can do that without having all the trouble yeah and but that, I think that's it I think the people and uh, you were talking about being uh, introverted and shy I think that's different so I'm trying looking for another audience another type of audience maybe mm -hmm. what kind of goal do you have for your show I don't know what Derek's goal was for his show but it was very like you know self-reflective you know his show is very self-referential and meta in places yeah. and it's all about him uh, in in my mind, for to further the purpose of having the audience members as individuals reflect upon themselves, yeah, yeah, right. So I feel like, you know, I don't know for sure that that's his goal, but what what do you think your goal for your show? Oh, if you have, there was a time, yeah, yeah, I have, I think I have. <laughs> there was a time, uh, I think when, probably when I started watching Darren Brown. I noticed that we magicians have um, a purpose. We know some stuff. We know uh, a specific way in which our our brains work that most of the people don't have. Like we know the ways of deception. Mm -hmm. We understand that. And um, I, I, when I first saw him doing the tricks of the mind, trick of the mind, I think. And something we could this week come and wow, I'm an absolute fan of Darren Brown. Who isn't? Tell me one magician who isn't, who isn't a Darren Brown's fan. But um, and James Randi, who is one of my biggest heroes. I started thinking that I had a purpose. Like I, I would need to enlighten people and and tell them, hey, you are being fooled all the time. Haven't you noticed that? Um, you believe in this this type of stuff, and this this is dangerous. And I started writing in a on uh, a blog, and uh, stuff like videos on fake videos on internet. So I debunked some some videos. I wrote some yeah yeah, and I have a good sense for that. So I can I can spot a fake video right <laughs> right away. Yeah, I have this gift. <laughs> I look for a video and say, no, it's fake. Why it's fake? And I can say, oh, if you, you, you see, you can see that, you can see that, you can see that, I can spot that. But I was trying to develop something on my show that could, that could have this sort of, of idea, you know? Tell people how they're being deceived without noticing yeah. they're being deceived. It has like a practical application yeah, for yeah. the audience. But the point is, I, I got so frustrated because it was a different time, of course. I started writing on my blog maybe in 2008 or 2009 or something like that. I don't know. And uh, I noticed people want to believe. People want, want to be fooled all the time. So in spite of all my efforts and all the efforts of other people like me who tried to show people the dangers of believing in some dangerous scams, mm -hmm. things like cults and this type of stuff. And um, people want to believe in that. And yeah. who am I to judge, it, judge, it, judge them? Who am I to tell them, no, you shouldn't do that? 
So I, I was a, a little bit um, thrown off by this feeling of leaving people do whatever they want to do, you know? <laughs> it was a, a transition and I started to be more mindful and I started being more like, I want to like people because I was a different person. I was a, I was more like a, a sarcastic type of person. Like every time some somebody would come to me and talk about some shit, I was always like, oh man, don't make me hear that. And I think I started to to be I started being more more sad about it. So I've changed my mindset. Like I don't want to be that guy. I want to be a guy who who really like what people what what people have have to say about their passions and their. Mm-hmm. So I started being a more uh, empathetic and encouraging. Yeah, 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 yeah. This yeah. type of this type of person. Uh, I think it has been like I don't know three years maybe the point in which I maybe because I studied law I graduated in law in my town in. It was a very <laughs> strange part of my life, and I, I, I started being more uh, sympathetic to people because of I don't know having to to deal with more people than I used to at yeah. the time. Did you practice? What no, you- no, no. Okay. I I just graduated, and uh, yeah, I, I, I can tell the story later. <laughs> and um, so now I I'm trying to. To, to put this, these two things together, like the idea of teaching, if I can say that, or telling people how they're being fooled without being a person who think that these people are being fooled. I, I don't know yeah. if you get it. It's uh, like you're, you're teaching them without judging them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I don't want to be the, the person who is judging them because they are they're being stupid and so yeah. because we we are stupids yeah. in lots of other subjects sure so I'm trying to to put these two things together yeah I, I really still some uh, still want to put some some of this stuff like trying to tell them to, to tell them you know why a magician know that a psychic is uh, Bogus or a charlatan. A charlatan. You know why? Because we know how to do that exactly, like they they do using trickery. Yeah. So, but I don't want I don't want to tell them like, oh, don't be stupid. Yeah. Don't believe in that. Yeah. I just want to tell them. You see, I can do that on the same way. I think the the motive of my show is deception. I like I like the term deception because we are deceived. All the time, and I think reality is a, is a, an illusion. I have a tattoo that says that reality is an illusion, and uh, I find that so beautiful in all aspects, like the universe and the atoms. And we are deceivers all the time. We deceive all the time, like we lie a lot. Yeah, yeah. And we don't think about it because everything is a lie. Yeah, it's, it's all just it's all just us. Our our individual perceptions of the universe yeah, of what's that's happening it. around us. That's the way you see stuff. So I, I always one of the things that made me change my mind was this kind of feeling like you need to place yourself in someone else's shoes to understand what I what are they thinking about some stuff. 
uh, I've had some I've had some rough moments in my life and uh, now that I'm a, a full-grown man I think <laughs> I can't I can see uh, the different different persons I was you know like yeah the Daniel with 21 years the Daniel with 23 years 25 years 30 years and I can yeah and I can uh, relate to that because that's all parts of me that I can see now and I can see oh man I was so foolish when I was 33 uh, 23 or whatever I can see that and I can say oh, I was so wrong and if I was wrong why people cannot be wrong when they're uh, talking to me or something mm -hmm. uh, we, sh we should be more uh, loving to people in this in this term because in this aspect because we need to understand they have different backgrounds they have different ways of seeing the world and um, I don't know maybe it's, I'm just uh, divagating uh, I don't know if the, that's the right word <laughs> just like uh, lost my train of thought right now <laughs> But yeah, I, I mean, I there. I, I mean, I'm I'm still a, a very young person, but there are definitely twenty two, right? Twenty three, Yeah, there are there are definitely different versions of me that I can look back and see and yeah. go, that's not who I am anymore, but that's a part of me. Yeah, and you know, even though I was so wrong, you know, I still love that because that's yeah. still inside of me, and yeah, that's yeah. you know, that's something that I worked on and made better, and now it's. Yeah, Something you're like right. You're definitely right. I think about that so much because uh, that's the story about the river. I think it was a philosopher, but I can't remember exactly who. Heraclit, maybe. I'm not sure about the story of the river. That if you look to a river, you're not look. You're never looking at the same river because once the water passed, it is already a different river. So the people are like that. Uh, people are different. I was I was talking to my wife uh, one of these days about their friends. She was telling me about their Canadian friends and the, from the time she she was an, ex uh, an exchange student, mm -hmm. and she told me, "Oh, I, I want to meet the I, I want to meet the people that I met at the time. I want to meet. I'm sorry. I want to meet the people that I've met at the time." And oh, or she said like, "Oh, I met them and." Um, And I was thinking, when she was saying, I was thinking, they're different people. Like, you don't know them anymore. Yeah, they're that was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. They're using the same, uh, the same skin and bones. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> But they're not the same people. Mm -hmm. We're not the same people. Uh, at the moment, uh, I'm I'm stepping on Brazil again. I'm a completely different person. Because of all this experience that I've passed, mm -hmm. and of course, traveling is an intense experience. So you you change a lot in ten days or something. Like you don't change for two years sometimes. So I love traveling because of that. You can you can feel the change happening while you're doing stuff on the plane on the streets and uh, you come back to what you knew with new eyes yeah, and you see yeah, things differently yeah, that's it. because that's of your it. experiences elsewhere yeah and that's so beautiful i really like that yeah <laughs> i agree i think it's beautiful my my oh gosh the first time i traveled abroad i went to england ireland and wales 
and I barely remember any of it. I was very young. I think I was like 12 years old, and I barely remember any of it. And I just kicked myself every day that I didn't journal and take more pictures and yeah, yeah. so that I could remember those experiences because I remember the feeling of being somewhere else and experiencing these other cultures and foods and languages and things like yeah. that. And just loving it and falling deeply and madly in love with it but I just can't remember the specific events. I have, you know, a couple little flashes <laughs> yeah. of memory, and it's so frustrating. But I remember coming back and just being uh, immensely thankful for the trip, but also, you know, experiencing what it was like where I was in a totally different way, yeah, with a different appreciation. I remember when I f when I first traveled to the U.S. and I returned, and I was so mad about my country, <laughs> like, oh. And I was, I remember playing a lot at a, at a, a restaurant at the time. And I sat with my guitar and Bianca by my side. And uh, I, I remember feeling differently. Like, man, I, I don't want to be here because, you know, it's so, it's so different traveling to a, a fully developed country. Because once you see things happening, and the point is, I, I've, I've passed a long time ago the ideal of another country like people have this oh if you should move to Sweden I don't know or yeah. Germany or England and it will be much better I've passed that that idea that that a country can be a lot better because we are humans right mm -hmm. and uh, I was I love theories and I have lots of theories about stuff and uh, Bianca was telling me, I think it was Bianca telling me about uh, Japanese people who, who did something and I'm, I'm not remembering right now what was that but I was saying Bianca but that's not Japanese people, that's human. But the point is we have a kind of a set of points, right? So every human have Every human, every human has like a hundred points, uh -huh. and you can spend these points the way you want. Okay. Okay. And um, so, if you spend your points on being like organized and being very respectful to law and stuff, you lose the points for all of other stuff, like being a loose person, being uh -huh. like I don't know, creative maybe sometimes. Yeah. And uh, I, I told her you can see the same characteristic on a Brazilian person or uh, a Jamaican guy or, uh, I don't know, an Australian woman. You can spot that same traits. But if you look to a, a, a people, right, to, to, to a group of people, yeah. you can see that happening more because they set their points to some specific traits. Mm -hmm. So, to leave, I was, I was talking a little bit before the, the, the travel, I was talking to a friend, uh, my sister, and she's, a, she's Brazilian, but she lives in Japan for, I don't know, 15 years maybe. Oh wow. Right now, yeah. And she was telling me that they have different ways of talking to each other, depending on which, the, uh, depending the the, the situation. So if you go to the doctor, you have to speak a different, a, a, it's almost as if 
it is another language you have to talk to the doctor differently and they are so like uh, straight you know rigid in, rigid yeah. yeah and that characteristic forbid them to be loose of course so if you see Brazil you have Brazilians who are loose, who are creative, who are fun, okay, but we lose, we lost all the, the, the trade points, if I can say this, to organization uh -huh. and being uh, a very, how do I say that, being a very, a people who have drive to, to change things or, but it's probably main, mainly organization, I can, I can, if I can say one word about it. So we are all the same, but when we when you travel, you see only the things that don't work on your country, uh -huh. and that's the, the the reason why people think that places are better than than others. Probably it's, that place may be better suited to your particular point. Yeah, at that time on your life, like I'm a Brazilian with 36 years uh, with this background, and so so, and I go to LA and I can see what I miss. Mm. Maybe that's not the same thing I miss, and maybe not. Maybe that's not the same thing that my wife misses, or maybe not the same thing that another tourist from Brazil who is crossing the street in front of me misses. They can miss different things. Mm -hmm. They can, or they can. They cannot. Maybe they not miss something because they're very rich in Brazil. I don't know. So it's a very personal thing. But the point is. When we travel, we can see these things happening, and we are—we um, have this illusion that now it's going to work out, and here it can work because everything works. But you see, I was talking to you about Los Angeles and how people are stressed over here, like how people honk all the time. But the point is, in Sao Paulo, we have honking and stressed <laughs> people, of course, and but it's just different. It's it's not good or worst. It's just different. Yeah. And uh, I feel, of course, that the things I miss in Brazil, it's, it's probably because I am a different person in there. And uh, I'm not the classic Brazilian stereotype. I don't like soccer. I don't uh, get drunk with beer. <laughs> I don't... Yeah, yeah, it's not that all Brazilians get drunk with beer. It's not like that. I'm not but, familiar with that many Brazilian yeah, stereotypes. Yeah. No, no, but uh, people are like they're like they like party and carnival, and I hate carnival. I hate <laughs> soccer. Yeah, I'm not the the Brazilian stereotype, and I like things done, things being done. The the I like things being well done, and and like efficiently done. So, yeah, efficiently done. It's so difficult to see that in Brazil. So difficult. I this I think this is the main thing I I complain all the time. Like. Every time I buy something from from other countries and send them to Brazil, it's a pain in the neck. It, ha it took it take like it takes thirty days to two months to get there. When you get there, I have all the import fees and I get to go to the post office and you have to wait in line for forty minutes. And after forty minutes, you have to pay twelve reais, which is our currency, to pay because because they have a, a, a convenience fee. <laughs> And you have to pay for convenience, but you have to go there and pick up what you order. So this type of stuff gets me mad, and, I, and, I, and I'm very in, in this sort of stuff. 
that's related to organization and efficiency mm -hmm. and this gets me like real bad I'm I'm depressed sometimes with that so when I when I travel like I went to Germany uh, two years ago but you love that ago. man the trains <laughs> oh what the hell and the train leaves at uh, 117 and not 116 not 118 it's one fucking 17 the train starts moving and it's not one train it's all goddamn trains in Switzerland and in Germany and I was just man <laughs> you see I was I don't know if I was I was maybe talking to David Yannick about the the differences I don't I don't remember if it's if it was with him that I was talking but I'll oh, probably Jeremy with I don't remember right now that this idea of people complaining about about other countries is the first time I set foot on a German train I said oh my god this is amazing and it was not a special train it was a regular train yeah and there was a plug for me to charge my phone in a, a, a cushion a seat and I said man this is awesome and I was talking to a friend of mine from Berlin Wolf Wolf and, he's, and he was complaining about the trains. And I said, what the fuck are you complaining about the trains? He said, oh, they're, they're not as fast as he, they should be. And I said, you're complaining with your mouth full. Like, you can even imagine how, how our trains are in Brazil. <laughs> uh, and uh, so people will complain, of course. But when I get to another country, the first things I can spot are the things that I miss. So... It feels good to travel, but it feels bad to return. That, that's, that, that's what I was saying about becoming another person when you come back to your country. And I was playing and I was thinking, man, I wish I was, wish I was there. Of course, I'm, I'm a little bit homesick right now. <laughs> I miss my cat, I miss my, my couch and my TV with Netflix. And, uh, but I can manage to travel now more than before. And that's the reason I, I started tr trying to to share my magic with the world because this was a way uh, to make things easier. Like to travel, you you need to to pay for your bills, of course, to mm -hmm. pay for tickets and stuff like that. But if I can create a magic career, I can probably visit now another country do a set of uh, set of lectures and pay for my trip mm -hmm. and I really like to, to, to travel that's one of the things that I love the most I think to know other cultures and being able to see architecture I love architecture so I I think that's my my whole goal right now and of course try to find to try to 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 do magic for other people too, like different people. Yeah. And maybe, I don't know, maybe play too, because play it's a whole different game, you know? Music is so different. Yeah. I would never be able to reach the same level of, of uh, achievements in music that I'm achieving with magic right now. Not because I was not as good as, I think I'm a better musician there than I am a magician. Uh -huh. But the magic circle, the world magic circle is way, way, way shorter. Yes. Yeah. So I'm 
hanging out with some of the best magicians in the world right now. And I'm a magician for 10 years. So if you think uh, in uh, music-wise, it would never happen on this way. I would probably have to, especially because I play a, a style of uh, the, the, the style of music that I like, blues, is not so appreciated uh, in foreign countries. Like if you travel as a Brazilian, people want to listen. People want to listen Brazilian songs, and it's not our speciality. Mm -hmm. So we play, of course, but it's not the type of song we play. We play more pop rock and this type of stuff. So if we try to to do a career in U.S., for instance, it will be better if we if we play like Brazilian music, uh -huh. which is much more appreciate appreciated by foreigners. Uh, I'm not willing to do that because I'm, I really like Brazilian songs, but not to play. I don't yeah. think I never never developed this passion. I think sure. And uh, I don't know. I'm here now because of that. Because of my. I will. <laughs> yeah, I'm a very determined person. Um, you probably know that when I when I wrote you, uh, showing my Peregrine Pass, and after a month or so, you didn't answer me, and I said, "Man, Elliot, 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 Elliot," and you and you watched that, and I said, "Oh, it's very good," and. Oh man, I was so happy with that. It was very good. Yeah, I, yeah it. Yeah, uh, I both of the things that you have put out with us, the cloak and the peregrine pass. I think it's interesting the conversation we just had about efficiency, because that's kind of what those moves are. Yeah, I think so. Is is efficiency, especially the peregrine pass? The peregrine pass is just amazing. You see, what, and one stuff I, I'd like to talk about on the lecture that I, that I he didn't have uh, the, the mind to do that because I had, for the lecture I had all the script, but mm -hmm. once you start talking, it's so difficult to put all the, the stuff on the places that, it should, that they should be. And I forgot to say something. About one thing that I, I actually I don't know if I created the term because I looked for it. The specialist bias, uh -huh. and um, in I found something like the specialist bias, but it wasn't the way I, I think it's supposed to be. And one element of the specialist bias is that I find I think that's the hardest for me. Once you do your stuff a lot, you start thinking that it doesn't worth a penny. Uh -huh. Because you get so used to that. And when I was at the point of, I don't know, mastering the Peregrine Pass, I was like, ah, oh, this is shit. Nobody's, <laughs> nobody's gonna like that. No, 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 no. nobody's gonna like that. And, and that's better though, that's better. Having that opinion and feeling that way is better than doing something really badly so much that you get used to it and think it's good. Yeah, definitely. And of of course we have we have a, a, I've learned um, a psychological term uh, maybe two years ago that's fascinating. I just love that and I use that a lot to explain to people one very giant problem we have as a society. It is called Dunning-Kruger effect. I don't know if you know that. I don't. The Dunning-Kruger effect is uh, 
it's brilliant. And uh, the Dunning-Kruger effect is this that you that you said basically. Let me try to explain that in English. Uh, it's <laughs> the, the thing is, um, the Dunning-Kruger effect is a kind of a cognitive bias, bias maybe that happens on the this way. A person who is dumb, okay, cannot perceive that she's dumb. Yeah. So if she thinks that she's clever, she'll believe in that. Uh-huh. And because she's dumb, she doesn't have the 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 skills to understand uh, the dumbness, okay? So she's 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 gonna think that she's good and she's uh, clever and smart and intelligent and uh, but she's not and I think that's so difficult to deal with because I am familiar with that yeah I, I didn't recognize the name the, but I did. yeah yeah how, how can you explain that to, to a person who's dumb like she's mediocre but she thinks she's the best yeah and um, she, the, the point is the point is not being mediocre or thinking she's the best. The problem is that person not being able to understand that she's not as good as she's, she thinks it. she thinks that she is. And uh, this has so many levels and that's uh, a very very problematic stuff because you have professionals doing this. Yeah. you have like I don't know physicians you have uh, politicians mm -hmm. you have lawyers yep. and um, the guy sometimes has a PhD but the, the person is uh, the dumbest you can imagine and the PhD is just a title if you do that specific stuff of course I don't know how it is that in other parts of the world like in US and how, how difficult it is to, to get a PhD in Brazil mm -hmm. It's difficult, but it's not as difficult as you can imagine. So yeah. you have a lot of doctors who don't know <laughs> shit about writing well, you know, or yeah. communicating. And of course, we have that in, in magic too. People who think that they are the best and they're not. Yeah. Something very frustrating to me is like deciding that you're good enough. Yeah. If you if you make that conscious decision where you're like, okay. I, I'm I'm ready to do this. Yeah. I feel like I feel like you're just wrong. <laughs> How do you know that? That's the problem. How do you know you're not falling into the traps of the Danny Kruger effect? I know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I was talking to I have a, a um um email a Google groups with some magicians friends of mine, a very good very good magicians. And and I, re I, don't know, I don't remember it wasn't that group uh, it was another one a friend of mine asked about this like how can I know that I'm that my act is good or my magic is good or that I'm good mm -hmm. and uh, this is an interesting topic actually uh, when when practicing we need to anything okay if you're practicing with your deck of cards or your guitar or your piano or whatever when you're practicing to achieve something you have to have a goal of course but you need to have two different types of comparison 
you need to compare yourself to the ones that you think that are worse than you and the ones that you think that are better than you. Mm -hmm. And this puts you on a very humble position because you can, um, you are able to, to say, no, I'm not as good as this guy. Yeah. And I am better than that guy. So you can have two different um, measuring points. Measuring points, exactly. And, uh, and you're not like the person who says, oh, I'm the best. And you're not also, too, the one that says, oh, I'm not good enough. Yeah. So you have to find those, those points so you can walk and be humble to learn more. And no, you have to learn that you always, be, you, you always can be better on the next day in, in everything you do. And, uh, but how you can avoid uh, falling into an illusion that you, that you are good. Mm -hmm. And that's difficult because I see sometimes uh, people, especially in Brazil, of course, and because I have more uh, things surrounding me that's from Brazil, of course. And I see some videos, some, some productions from magicians. And I say, man, that's so awful, man. How you did that? How you put that? How you published that on YouTube? But sometimes you notice the guy is trying to be good. Sometimes you, you know that the guy thinks that that material is good. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I already started thinking about when I first released my video, like, how, how am I supposed to know this is good? Especially, how am I supposed to know how this is good enough for the world? So, I don't know. You have to, you, you need to, to practice like other stuff in life. Watching more films and listening to music and talking to people. Studying and art and studying architecture. Studying art and architecture, exactly. And being, being a listener too. You know, you need to listen to people, what they have to say. If you don't like that, you just listen to it. Because... If it, if it doesn't fit you, you'll probably throw it in the trash. Or, but you need to listen to understand what people think about other stuff. And when I finished my first uh, good video, it was a, a, a teaser that I, I've made just to, to boost my, my ego. <laughs> and uh, in 2012, I think, I made a production like a teaser. Now I'm going to be a magician. Let's go. <laughs> And I finished everything by myself. And the only, th the only things that I didn't do on the video were the stock footage. Mm -hmm. uh, the rest, the music, uh, the scenes, the script. And of course, I didn't film myself. It was my friend Eduardo who made that. The ones that I, uh, appear on the, the camera. And um, I looked at it and I said, man, this is good. But I knew, I, I knew it was good. I know, I don't know how I, I knew, but yeah. I knew. So that's, that's the tricky part. I don't know what made me be this type of person. I wasn't like this when I was 20 years old, probably. Yeah. But now I can spot the places where I have flaws and when and in, in which manner I can improve myself or something like that. But it's a, it's a life thing you have to deal with that you have to 
of course, if you have more good elements to compare yourself, mm-hmm. like here in US, as I was talking to Jeremy, if you are on Monday nights, Monday night jams, jamming with, I don't know, Fatty Dabs or some of these <laughs> crazy guys, that's a reference for you. Yeah. So, if I think this is good, yeah, I try. I probably try to be as good as him. So. If I'm looking at him and thinking that is good, if I'm that, I can be good too. So that's a reference, I, I think. Well, and it, like so, not only just surrounding yourself with people that are better than you are, but also being willing to teach people that are not as good as you. Because yeah, and this goes back to you being a guitar teacher. It's like I have to make sure I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, like, being put in the position to help another person, you have to go, you you, you feel this obligation to not lead them astray, to yeah. not teach them incorrectly. Yeah. And Definitely. I think that that's important. And, uh, well, I don't know. It's it's strange, though. Uh, all the people that I knew here while, while I was, like, on the lecture, and it was, every one of them was very gentle people, very kind Everyone was kind with me, and I really liked that. And uh, it was strange. I remember after doing a lecture in Brazil on a convention, I had lots of people like, because I was doing the convention after releasing the Peregrine Pass. And the thing is, as I told you probably, I'm the first Brazilian that ever published material in foreign websites. And mm-hmm. probably one of, one of the few, I don't know, maybe I know just one guy whoever published something internationally on Genie and uh, he lives in France now and I'm not sure if there's another one who published material, original material so when I released the Peregrine Pass it was like oh man the guy made it, the guy crossed the limits of our country and <laughs> it's publishing on denandave.com and um, people were writing me and, and like inviting me for some stuff and when I did my my lecture lots of people were talking to me and I was talking to them and they say oh you're very you're very humble person I said of course why shouldn't I be because we all should be kind and um, see in spite of being sometimes a a judgy person because everyone is Mm -hmm. in some level and I'm always kind to people, always, because they don't deserve not uh, not having kindness in their life. And the the world is so rough, and um, if I am a kind person, I should be kind. But the point is, we when you are at a convention, everyone should be willing to teach something. Everyone should be willing to share and, 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 to, and to deal with this, uh, nobody's better than anyone. Of yeah. course, there is this division. It's obvious, but we're there. Every everyone is there to learn and to teach. Yeah. So even if you have Juan Tamaris on a convention, he is who he is because he knows the value of learning. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who will say to you, "I'm learning with you." Yeah. And that's the beauty of it, you know. So everyone should be uh, worried about being kind to each other in 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 not being i don't know uh sitting on a position where that person feels more important yeah there shouldn't like be any condescension no or no, no. especially details. on a 
especially on such a, a minor event. Because if you think in, in, in numbers, magicians are just, oh, man. Tiny. Yeah. Tiny. So we should be more together in, in this, this term. But, of course, we have the... We have, I'm, I'm, I'm not finding the right word. We have that type of people that would like to suck everything you know and and copy you and don't give you credit. Not as parasites. Parasites. <laughs> yeah. Not at not credit as oh I learned from this guy, but credit as as credit. You know, to understand that he learned something from you. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think. The more the place where you are is uh, weaker in, in terms of art, the worse it is because you can succeed without being a good artist. And I think we have this problem in Brazil, you know? Is We certainly have it in, in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can I can understand that, but uh, I think that your ground your ground in, in US are so much higher. I noticed this, so just so you know, I noticed the difference between, uh, and I'm saying Americans because I'm here, but what, I, what I'm what i wanting to say is um, well-developed countries. Sure. Okay? I first learned that in 1996, I used to roller skate, okay? Yeah, I was 16 years old. <laughs> but it was this I was this guy who 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 did the 360s and and oh, was, okay. yeah, yeah, kind of. <laughs> that makes and, it a little better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if, if there's another name it for that. It was in the 90s. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. It was in the 90s. <laughs> and um it was kind of a, a extreme sport at the okay. time. I wasn't I wasn't that badass who 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 did so the, the, the great jumps and stuff like that. Yeah. But I've I've been around with that type of guys, you know, the badasses, and they were good. I I I used to think they were good at the time. Yeah. But in 1996, uh, there was the Atlanta Olympics, and because it was the time for extreme sports, the intro for the the Olympics, one of the, the things for the the main event that opens the, the Olympics had lots of skate and roller skate. Is that right? Say roller skate? Yeah. Oh, or that or inline skate. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That one. Roller blades. Roller that's blades. What that's what I was looking for. Okay. And man, when I watched that, I was so amazed by how better they were. Mm hmm than the guys that I was watching on the on the neighborhood parks. Yeah. And I watched the guys doing the, the, the backflips and double black backflips and 360s and 720s and, and I said, damn, I, I, I have no idea how it is to be good at something. My reference is so low. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's the first point in which I noticed there was something different about the metal boards. When you when you watch the Olympics, you say China has like 150 golden medals. Mm -hmm. U.S. have 112 golden medals, and Brazil on the 50th place have one golden medal. 
I say, man, but we are a, a, a big, large country, yeah. big country. Why don't we have this many uh, number of, of golden medals and stuff like that? And I started thinking about the, the references and, and the competition and the need to be good at what you are. So I remember that that stroke me hard. And I said, man, it's different. It's other, other reference. I need to focus on that. It's not necessarily better either. Yeah. But when you say that, it's... I, th I think it's... We were, we were discussing about the, the feeling of needing to be successful. In yeah. Here. Yeah, that's bad. But from the point of view of the guy who is actually being good at something... He knows that he can be recognized. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm not considering, of course, the ones that are not good mm -hmm. and think they can succeed. I'm, I'm talking about the ones that are good. Sure. So they have a chance in here. Yeah. And it's so different in, the, in there because it doesn't say that if you're good, you are, you are going to succeed. No. If you have... Uh, Somebody who could vouch you and uh, who be who can be a godfather. I'm I'm trying to talk in Brazilian terms in here, uh, and that that is so frustrating. I was a very good good guitar player at the time, and one of the points in which I like let go about the the, the blues guitar it was because of that. I was trying to play at a venue for a year at the time. I, I think it was like 2002 or something. And I was not getting it. The guy didn't return my calls. And one day I was going to, to that same place to watch a friend of mine play. And there was a guitar, playing, uh, a guitar player playing right before him. And the guy was awful, man. <laughs> It was awful, ridiculous. I said, how come this guy is playing? And I'm trying for a year to play here. Yeah. And I just cannot. And I asked my friend, like, why is this guy, why is, why is this guy, why is this guy playing over here? He's so bad. And he said to me, oh, there is a, a radio program. He has a radio program. And he, like... He says the name of the bar on the the radio show. He knows the guy. He knows the it's guy, uh, and the guy lets him play. Yeah, and that that was one of the points where I just started to being fr frustrated enough not to be willing to keep playing guitar. Yeah, and I noticed that in all levels, like you don't need to be good. Okay. Yeah. You just need to be okay. If you know the right person, you'll be there. Yeah. Few few things are like a true meritocracy. Yeah, meritocracy yeah. is a thing that we we are discussing right now in Brazil. Of course, we are discussing that for a long time now. But I, I've I've read some things about that uh, a few weeks ago, and there's no such thing in there. It's so rare, like. It should be like if you're good, you 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 have a chance, but it's not like that. Yeah, and that's uh, it's frustrating. Again, that's the reason why I try to succeed because you see, I don't want to be Darren Brown. I don't want to be as famous as him. I don't yeah. want to be doing like 
uh, giant venues. <laughs> That's not my thing. Yeah. I don't want to be the guy who jumps from one truck to the other in movement while using a, a, a straight jacket, straight jacket <laughs> uh, doing a backflip uh, with rings of fire. I, yeah. I, I'm not that guy. Sure. And because I like to teach, because I like to share, and I like to create my stuff, I'm, I'm more the kind of guy for small clubs, for... Mm -hmm. Small venues and classic card table stuff. Intimate, slow, slow. Like yeah, yeah. More like uh, thoughtful. Yeah, maybe a Scania stuff like sharing a story and doing all all the stuff with a purpose. Like Rene Levant. Yeah, like exactly. Rene yeah. Levant is a very a very inspiring person, and uh, because I like this slow thing, you know, this mindful thing. Do mm -hmm. everything in your own time. And uh, I can do lectures. I love to. I, I love doing lectures because I can talk about ideas and theories that I, that people don't usually think because they're so worried about uh, how they're gonna do some stuff on the with the deck of cards that they are not thinking about the theories. And I can I can manage to to be a successful magician in that area if I if I want. Mm -hmm worldwide and that's the idea because I don't like being held by the by this type of feeling that I, I have in my country like not everything is as they should be so I feel like sometimes I'm I'm trying something like as if I if I were to try to sell the Peregrine Pass in Brazil for instance it would, it would lead me nowhere you know that's the idea in spite of being a very huge country yeah and uh, but we, we, we should think that Brazil have Brazil has 200 million people the world has 7 billion so I can travel the world yeah uh, I would love doing magic in Ireland or I don't know Sweden mm -hmm. Switzerland Canada yeah it would be much more fun and these Tiny, the this tiny group of magicians is large if you think worldwide. So, I think I think that's a, a thing that I'm looking I'm looking for in my life. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I took a lot of notes during your lecture okay. about things that I wanted to ask you about and talk to you about. Um, for example. I wanted to talk a little bit more about your specialist bias and the basically the curse of knowledge because you mentioned in your lecture yeah. that as a musician you can't listen to music anywhere of any type and not analyze it in yeah. some aspect. You see, imagine yourself watching a, a magician. Mm -hmm. It's impossible. You you saw the Gaudio show, right? Yes. It's impossible. He, in spite being, um, in spite of feeling the magic happening and feeling like a lay, a lay person, because you're watching a world-class magician doing um, the best, the best material he has. You're a magician. You're thinking about methods. It's mm. impossible not to think about that motherfucking middle deal. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. impossible. Yeah. Not to like cheer. Man, that middle deal. Yeah. And um, it's impossible not to think about the, um, the other stuff at the end. 
yeah. with the tickets. And uh, I don't think I'm going to spoil everything now because I think the show ended, right? Oh, no, it's still going. Oh, okay. So I didn't say anything <laughs> No, yeah, you're fine. And uh, it's impossible to watch that as a layperson because you know methods. Your life, your life have your life has this type of stuff all all mm -hmm. the time. You're with a deck of cards all the time, thinking about ways to to improve your palming or to improve your second deal or stuff like that. Yeah. So when you watch some magician doing that, you're already thinking about that. So. It's different from a layperson. And sometimes even not like, how are they doing, but how would I do it? Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And uh, a layperson is not thinking about anything. They're just watching. Yeah. And they're just being amazed. This is one of the elements of the thing that I call specialist bias. And uh, I started thinking about that because every time I'm developing a new trick, I'm thinking about my lay audience, of course. But I'm thinking about my methods, as I told on the, as I said on the lecture, all the methods I'm thinking, uh, I prepare them for magicians. So I have two stacks memorized. I, I use another stack memorized because of that, because I didn't want magicians to know the stack that I was doing to do uh, any card or any number or every other effect uh, using the <laughs> using the stack, and um, I have to. To, to think about magicians. But when I'm trying to develop the idea for, for the, the presentation for the lay audience, I have to try hard to imagine how they're going to perceive that, what they're going to feel about what I'm showing them. And that's so difficult. And then I start thinking about this. Why can I, why cannot, why can't I? Um, think on the same way a late person can. And uh, I started thinking about the music and when I listened to... No problem. And um, so when I, I, I think it was when I was listening to... I, I cannot say that in English, Ravel. Ravel, Ravel's, I don't know the name in English, or in Portuguese, is a, a music, a classical music that has all these layers being adding up, being added up to the song. So you start, probably you have heard it. And then you have another instrument, and another set of instruments, another set of instruments, until the end you have the whole orchestra play. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I listened to that when I was young and I started thinking about perceiving these instruments. When I started when I started playing the guitar, I noticed that even enjoying Jimi Hendrix or Sibre Ray Vaughan, I can't stop thinking about I can't stop thinking about I can't stop thinking about the guitar or the licks and man this lick I, I wanna learn that. Man this this sound, how can I how can I do that? It's impossible because it's in my very nature to analyze stuff, and now I do that. Mm -hmm. So when I, now I'm, I'm baking bread, for instance, every time I eat a piece of bread, I think, mm, "This recipe, how?" So <laughs> it's, it's, that's the way that things are for me. And uh, so, how do you try to think like a layperson? 
I try remembering what it was to watch magic when I was young, when I didn't know magic. I try to think of stuff I don't know how to do. Like, I don't know how to taste wine, for instance. I don't taste wine. Uh, not that I don't taste wine. I, taste, <laughs> I, don't, do, I don't do that as a, a thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a sommelier. You don't assess wine. Yeah. yeah. And um, so I try to think the things that I can learn being a, a spectator. Like, for instance, I don't know how to draw. I draw just a little bit. I can deceive you to think that I can't draw, but I cannot draw. And uh, <laughs> on my Instagram, there are some drawings that you can see, oh man, this guy can draw. No, I cannot draw. That took I me can... six hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Copying it. So, yeah, exactly. I and, used to draw the illustrations from Erdnays and I would like painstakingly yeah. do and I'd be like, that looks pretty good. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, I was doing that for three hours. hours. Yeah. <laughs> so I try to think of the stuff that I cannot do and uh, try to imagine what it would be like to watch the stuff I'm doing for that people. So if I'm doing a double lift, yeah. uh, I try imagining all the time I do that for all my techniques. Like I do something and I think if like for, for the double lift is a better example, I think the best example. When you turn a, a, a card, how you do that? Um, a single card. You do it this way, okay? If you if you're going to do if you're going to do with two cards, you should do exactly the same. Yeah. Otherwise, it would be odd. And it doesn't I, feel right. There's tension. Yeah, yeah. There's tension and there's like strange moves. Mm -hmm. I try avoiding these strange moves all the time, and um, it's a difficult exercise because you have to. You have to mimic. I've learned that in magic. I don't remember where, but probably reading something or watching something. Some magician, some good magician, saying this. Oh, you should do the probably Michael Amar. You should do the 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 real movement and then try mimicking the same thing while doing the the special move. Yeah. And I do that all the time because I have to try imagining what are my audience seeing like. They're watching some guy using a deck of cards. Why he, he needs to do with their with the hands like crunching the deck or something. Yeah. So I think of many things. I, 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 can, I don't know if I can say them deta in detail. Like. Yeah. But uh, so how, how do you how do you then come up with the pattern, let's say, rather than the method, because you said the method is, you know, to fool magicians so that even the, the yeah, most astute layperson would be able to figure yeah. out. But so then how do you come up with your presentations? How do you think about how they're feeling in the moment? How do you yeah, the, uh, what I try to do is I don't like too many processes for, for, for audience, uh, lay audience. Like I've learned so many tricks in which you say to, you say to your, your audience like, Okay, uh, think of a number, and the guy says, okay, he's thinking some, some number, and you, I'm going to pass the cards, and you memorize the card that is on the number that you have thought, okay? And now, after that, I'm going to cut the cards in three packets, and you're going to think of a number between... Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Man, it's, there's so many processes. Yeah. And... Confusion, confusion is not magic. Confusion is not magic, exactly. 
I, I avoid that at all costs. Yeah. And uh, your any card at any number, by the way, fooled me real bad, and I thought it was real pretty. Really, <laughs> it was oh, very thank beautiful. You. Oh, thank you. I was like, because I saw you spread those cards, and I was like, that's not a stack that I know. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't know how he is did he, that. He, <laughs> <laughs> so my goal was was achieved. Yeah, and I. And but I, also the presentation for it was beautiful. The letter, your thing about having props that aren't part, yeah, that yeah. aren't essential to the trick. I think yeah, is I think really of nice. that because we are storytellers. Yeah. From from my point of view, we are storytellers. You don't want to do. It, of course, I'm, I'm talking about magic. I'm not talking about tricks, okay? Everyone can do tricks. I'm talking about magic, and magic-wise, we are all storytellers. We are telling something. And uh, the story needs to have something. You need, you need to say something to your audience. You need to make them think about anything. You need to, you need to make them reflect or... So, I want them to... And of course, I'm like a child in this subject. I'm just beginning to develop these ideas. And um, when I think about, I was, I was talking about the, the processes and you asked me about the script and pattern. And what I try to say is, I need to justify everything I do with my pattern, of course. But the point is, I need to give them something beyond what I'm doing here with a deck of cards. So I have the story and I have props whenever I can use them. And these props are just for the sake of the story. And I wanted to tell that on the lecture, but I forgot it. I don't like too much open gimmicks. I said that. I don't like the special stands. I was seeing a magician from Brazil doing a TV show and he made a selection from cards, uh, letter cards, okay? But the spectator didn't, uh, they pick, uh, the, the spectator pick up the card, but didn't see what was the letter. And then the magician goes to the special stand that holds cards. I don't know why we, have, we should have a stand that holds cards. And he places the card turning back, okay? Nobody is seeing. Yeah. And then after, I don't know, one minute or something, he picks up that card to reveal the letter J or whatever. Yeah. Why the hell you should give them <laughs> a card that they cannot look at the card, go to a special stand that holds cards to after one minute or so, pick up that card to show the letter. That, that's confusion. Yeah. And I developed a way to do the same. <laughs> Just giving a deck of cards for a spectator to pick up a card and look at the letter because that, that's the way it should be. That's thinking about the layperson view. Like, I want to pick up this card and I want to look at it. Why yeah. I should give you to you without knowing the card? And it, you, you place that card on a very suspicious, very suspicious wood stand that... Uh, Some strange know. contraption. Yeah, 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 I hate it. And um, so I like to, to use props that doesn't have anything to do with methods, but it has everything to do with the magic. Yeah, because a spectator can imagine. You see, edit. Imagine this: you you're doing the nest of boxes, which is brilliant. Okay, but your spectator can think of traps. Traps is obvious. Yeah. So can, he can imagine like maybe there's a trap or a mechanism, and he's not wrong. The problem is he's not wrong. Yeah. If you're thinking about the master prediction, which is brilliant too, your spectator can think of. 
oh, I don't know, maybe this box has some kind of trap. And he's not wrong. Yeah. The point is that, and I was, I'm developing at this moment. I'll probably write a book or something. Uh, I don't know when, but it will, it'll happen. <laughs> About the magic experience. How, how does the magic experience work, actually, you yeah. know? And uh, I'm, do, I'm talking about this because I was thinking about TV magic and, and I wrote a very, a very complex uh, text about that and I'll finish that. And, uh, and it has to do with TV magic and for instance, the master prediction. The master prediction is made by, by a prop, by a gimmick, not by the magician. The magician does absolutely nothing on that, on that effect. Actually, the only thing he does is the magic part. He tells a story, he creates the magical atmosphere, but he does nothing. And on this case, eventually, if you don't do it right, your, your audience can think of ways of, uh, in which that is actually happening, the, the traps, the systems, whatever. When I'm using a stopwatch that doesn't have anything with the method, my spectator is looking at the stopwatch, is thinking about the stopwatch, because the stopwatch is attracting them to something, making them feel something because the stopwatch is very beautiful, it's vintage, and it relates to a person uh, 30, where 34 years before died because of something, and they cannot think of any way in which that stopwatch is making the magic happens because it's not making the, the yeah. magic happen. So the, 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 the scenic object, the prop, the, the prop that doesn't have a gimmick or something, I think has this strength. Make your spectator feel something about that, making them think about that, but making it impossible to them, making that, that did the trick. Eventually you can use a, a, a prop object or a prop that doesn't have a method but can lead the attention of the, your, your audience to think that it does something, but that's another thing. So I like the idea of um, bringing more, more density to the story. Like I'm telling a story, okay, there was a guy who did that, but now the story has more density because I show them the, the stopwatch, I show them the, the, the original instructions, the copy of the original instructions. Yeah. And with an envelope and the, the, the paper was like old because it was oh, old. Yeah, this, this reminds me of, uh, I was at the Magic Castle with a couple of friends two weeks ago, I think. And we had gone into the classroom down in the, the basement of the castle to just have a little session. Just the three of us okay. went in there just to do a little jam session. And somebody came and poked their head in and uh, was like, oh, are you guys doing magic? And we were like, oh, not really. We're just kind of hanging out. And they were like, well, can we see a trick? Okay, sure. So this person comes in and three people follow. And the guy who was, he went to Pebble Palooza and saw Steve Forty do a bunch of crazy stuff. Okay. So he was showing us what Steve was doing. Okay. But he's not a performer. So he's like, would you, one of you guys do something? And so I was like, okay, sure. So I get at the table and I show these people a trick. Well, in the middle of this trick, like 30 other people come into the room. And so they're sitting here and I'm doing magic for all these people that I was not prepared to do it for. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I'm not much of a performer. I, I mean, I'm, I consider myself a performer, but I don't perform often. 
So in that moment, I was like, oh, God, what am I going to do for all these people? And I was like, triumph. It's, it's yeah. the go-to, you know, it's in, and you talking about doing, you know, doing a slow, beautiful, um, uh, dense presentation oh, yeah. made me think of this because I did Triumph. I did the, the Vernon method, the streamlined Vernon method, but I, I barely touched the cards, you know, just to do the shuffles and the cuts, but I did that staggered, and I did, I did the trick for like four minutes. I turned Triumph, which people do in, you know, yeah. 30 seconds, into this long piece, and I would sit back, and I would talk about Vernon at the castle, and I, I told a story that's in the Vernon Companion book. I told the story about how he would light the cigar cellophane on fire and, <laughs> you know, catch the place on fire. And I was doing all of this and doing this... Very simple trick that every magician yeah. knows, and I did it very slowly, and I was miming Vernon smoking a cigar and you know blowing the smoke on the cards and all of this, and I wove this huge story just totally off the top of my head. I was like, oh, what am I going to do? I was in that like adrenaline-fueled yeah, performance yeah. mode, and when I started to spread those cards, they lost their shit. <laughs> it was amazing. It's the yeah. best reaction I've ever gotten, but it was fueled out of what you're talking about yeah. it's that dense slow taking it seriously letting I, them in on i think there is where the magic is yeah. and um what happened what happens with most of us is because we are almost all the time hanging out with magicians mm -hmm. and we're just showing our our latest technique that we've learned or something and uh, we don't perform as much as we want and every time we perform is on situations like, I don't know, I'm with a deck of cards in my pocket and a friend of mine said, oh, you're you're practicing, or, or, or I'm practicing something and, oh, show me a trick. You just show a trick because you're in a hurry, you're doing something. And, yeah, yeah. And that's most of the stuff we do. We do, um, of course, not not taking into account the, 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 the performers, the real performers, mm -hmm. okay? The Gaudio, Elder Guimarães, these guys are so, they, they have different, they are legends almost. So they work, their work is, is perform. I'm not talking about these guys. And every time I perform, I try to have time to tell something. So I want to say something like, I'm, I'm in love with uh, Cosmos 2 by Greg Rostami. It's a wonderful out of this world routine if you don't I don't know if you know No, I'm not familiar. Oh, Who's man. it? What, what is it? Cosmos 2. Cosmos 2. By Greg Rostami. Okay. Oh man, it's it's mind-blowing. I do it all the time and it's I do it with a, a, a regular deck of cards. You, but you you should look for it. And I do it all the time and it's just amazing because it's brilliant. It's genius. And um, every time I perform that this is a very slow presentation. It, it needs to be slow because the spectator is dealing the cards and he he chooses. Oh, I'm so sorry about that. Yeah, I'm gonna be there. <laughs> and um, he chooses the cards. He chooses the cards. Yeah. He deals the cards. So you give them the cards. And, and I, the way I do, I, I give them the cards to shuffle. I made them memorize <laughs> quote unquote, memorize the cards and I show them the cards and see, people say that you can memorize cards and stuff. I, I, I tell a story about the subconscious and this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. 
And then I sit the deck on the table, ask them to be uh, very slow and try to deal the cards one by one. Uh, but I noticed that every time I do that, the more I let the, the, the effect grow in terms of the story and the time and the mindset, the, the person who mm -hmm. am I watching the magic is. Creating that atmosphere. Yeah, that, that's so much stronger. So I think that's, that's where the magic lies. The, the moment, you need to create that. You need to, I, I noticed that I was talking to a friend about the idea of being relaxed because I was a little bit, I'm not a guy who, who is very nervous to do stuff. Like I wasn't nervous doing the lecture. I was mm -hmm. like apprehensive or uh, a little afraid that some of the tricks would not happen because of the language stuff. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but I wasn't nervous per se. Sure, yeah. I was, I was cool. But I was worried uh, before I leave Brazil because it was a very, very huge deal for me and for magic in Brazil. Like getting out of Brazil and doing a, a, a lecture in the United States, a pretty big deal. And um, I was a little bit worried. And I think a week before the trip, I went to, I, I got myself into a situation in which I, I was with a deck of cards and I had to wait for three hours for something. I was with Bianca and some people that I didn't know in their house. And I was with some of my lecture notes because I, I, I took them with me to study. <laughs> and I was with a, a stack of deck. And I had to wait. People start asking me about stuff, magic, and I start talking. And I noticed that I can I, I could do magic very very casually, mm -hmm. and they were paying attention, and it was just beautiful because they were like interested. Yeah, and I take my and I took my time, like okay, I'm gonna do magic relaxed, and it was a very good performance. Yes. I did everything. I did any card in number a very the impromptu version that that I do. I did that. It was just perfect and uh, relaxed magic. Relaxed is so magic. powerful. Yeah. And I started thinking like, well, I'm going to the U.S. and how am I going to nail it? How, how am I going to do that without uh, screwing things up? <laughs> like, I cannot go to, to, to my any card, any number effect and screw that up. Yeah. No, this is my effect. I, I know how to do that. And it was a closer, so I, I, it, it needs to be good. So I, I thought, well, probably the secret is to be relaxed. Is to be like cool, mm -hmm. calm down, do your stuff. And I always say that to my wife because she's a little bit, she's more nervous than me. She's when, a little higher energy than you. Yeah, are, yeah, just yeah. In general. She is, but she when 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 we when we are going to play at a ceremony, which uh -huh. is a, a very a very strict. And stuff, it's a big moment know? for somebody's yeah, life. Too. Exactly, yeah. it's a, it's a very very important moment. She is nervous mm -hmm. most of the time. Yeah, and I'm just cool. And uh, I remember one place in time. What can I ask you? Why yeah. do you think that is? Because I'm also that way. I don't get nervous, and I hear people say, "If you if you're not nervous, you don't care," and that's not no, true at all. It's not true at it's all. It's not true at all. But no. I don't get I don't get nervous like that. No, I don't get nervous because I think I think it's preparation. Because when you're not prepared, you probably be more nervous. Yeah. Like, uh, I think Hugh Jackman said something like this on an interview. Like, 
you you win you uh, the, the, the I don't know the sentence in English but it's something like you can win your insecurity you can defeat it defeat your insecurity by being prepared mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm prepared most of the time because yeah. I practice a lot yeah and uh, let, uh, I was gonna say something about that when uh, before before me and Bianca started dating we played we played in a band together okay mm-hmm. and in 2004 we played at a very huge gig it was an opening for a very famous band in Brazil Jota Quest and there were like uh, 12,000 people on the audience and uh, we were going up to the stage and she was very nervous and she said how come you're not nervous and I said man I'm going to the stage do the thing that I love the most mm-hmm. which is play and I think that I know how to do that I'm a teacher in that guitar is my life and I, at the time I wasn't a magician yeah so I said how come can I be nervous on the one of the highlights of my life yeah, I'm most comfortable with this thing. Why should yeah, I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When people, people, when I when I played the blues, I was a very, a very intense guitar player. Like I fell on the floor, played the guitar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I jumped on the the speakers. Yeah, I was this type of guy. Played with the guitar on my back. Wow. Yeah, and uh, I was a very awkward person. I very, I, I was very shy at the time, and I I didn't drink. You know, today I can drink beer or two. I really like good beer. Okay? <laughs> I don't drink like whiskey or cachaça, <laughs> but I drink beer. Which sometimes. was delicious. Thank you so oh, much. Okay. I can't thank you enough. I'm glad you like it. <laughs> and uh, but I never drink. Mm-hmm. At the time, I didn't drink at all. But not because of anything special, but just because I didn't like it. And um, I was so intense. Mm-hmm. And people would say to me, "How come you're so intense and you don't you you don't drink anything?" I said, man, you, you have to understand that the stage is the place where I'm most comfortable. This is my place. When I'm with a guitar on the stage, that is my place. Yeah. That is my church. So I'm so comfortable. I'm yeah. so, uh, so secure about that. And of course, because I know how to do that, I, I'm not going to screw things up. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think that's the secret. And for the magic, it's different, though, because... Magic. If you if you're not doing some very easy thing, yeah. like any card, any number, you have to do some crazy math. Of like, yeah, yeah, mental mental mathematics on your head, and um, it's difficult. And you, you you can't screw things up. Yeah, of course. For magic, depending on what you're doing, you can yeah. screw things real bad. So I usually uh, I'm usually more nervous doing magic, but. I was trying to to think about the that performance I did for that people that I didn't know and how well it went and how relaxed I was and I said well so it's simple I need to be relaxed I need yeah. to go there and talk to people and breathe yeah and say man I love this yeah, and yeah. I was thinking about that when I was getting ready here on on Dave's house like I looked at a mirror and talked to myself like, man, I love this. Yeah. And I'm going to the United States to do magic. One of the things that I love the most, why should I be like nervous or, or worried or something? Yeah. Just on the on the place I was 
I was wanting to be. So this is uh, a thing that you have. Of course, you have to exercise that. It's not for everybody. Yeah. So the the I think I've thought about it a lot because I used to get really nervous, and then I kind of changed who I was as a person, and I yeah. I realized I wasn't nervous about things anymore. And and sort of the epiphany that I had is that. These are all people just like me. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter if they're. You know, it doesn't matter if this is like the CEO of a company. In this moment, I'm the performer. I'm in charge. Yeah. I want everybody to yeah, have a good time, right. yeah. and they're just people. What's yeah. there to be afraid of? Yeah, yeah. Bianca says says this to me all the time. People, they are people. They are just like you, just like me and you going to the. Shopping mall, buy some underwear. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, they go to the bathroom. Yeah. they eat and exactly do other things. So I, I think I think that's that's it. And even like even because I I do tricks sometimes that I'm very comfortable with sleight of hand. I, I prefer to do those tricks, but sometimes I'm feeling a little salty, and I'll do something with some stack work, or I'll do a mental thing. And I'm not worried about that messing up because probably it will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's not stuff that I do as often. But I'm not worried about it messing up because one, I'm technically skilled and I can get out of it somehow. Yeah. And it won't be as good as it could have been. But yeah, it won't but, be but you can fix that. Yeah, of course. And also, like, even if it's fucked up beyond repair. <laughs> Oh well, we're just people. Yeah. We're all gonna die one day. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But of course, I want to give them the best experience that I can. But you know, sometimes it's just like, oh well, you know. Yeah. Sometimes you have the best moments. You know, the yeah. moment when when you're doing the it happens. Of yeah. course, it happens when I'm doing the any card or any number, and somebody says the number that I'm wishing they do. Yeah. And you said inside you're just I know jumping because you got yeah. you got to keep your cool on the outside. <laughs> but sometimes it's gonna happen the the, the the moment that I've come like twelve twice I'm sorry twice on yeah. the last year my stack were like wrong yeah there wasn't a card out of another place, place out of place yeah. and the person said the right number and I said fuck now I'm gonna I'm gonna get out and have, and suddenly they're counting the cards and I see the card you know me <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> what the fuck is this card just doing over there? Yeah. And you cannot fix that. No. When it gets to the end, you said, I screw things up. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't work. And I, like, I, so I, I'm, I'm, I, there's an internal conflict within me when something like that happens because I know I can get a laugh from the audience if I blame them. Yeah. If I'm like, look at what you did. You messed this up. <laughs> you count. You said the wrong number. Or you you, you dealt out. the wrong card. You yeah. know, it's a good out. But that's not how I want the person to feel that I brought up You're on right, the stage. Too. Yeah. So I like I know, and then I just kind of have to play it by the situation. It's also how you build rapport with the person that you brought yeah. up. You know, I don't know if I can make that joke and it be okay with them. Yeah. Usually I will make that joke, but it's because I've spent more time with them, you know, trying yeah, to build that yeah. rapport throughout the routine. And it really, depends on the moment of the it show. It depends too, on the moment. Yeah. You cannot do it as the yeah. first one, probably. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> Maybe yeah, in the course, middle yeah. of it, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was talking to Blake Voigt um, on the podcast, and, and he said, 
you know, I'll make jokes with the person that I bring up, but I'm always trying to be more self-deprecating. Of course. So that then anything I say about them is taken in good jest. Yeah. And they know it's not serious. And I think that that's important. Because yeah. you got to walk that line. I hate. I hate more than anything. I hate more than somebody botching a method when they are mean to their spectator. Yeah. Or they're not clear with their direction. That just drives me crazy. Yeah, I always think about that. One of the things that I try to to understand when I'm when I'm doing magic actually, uh, especially when I'm trying some stuff with Bianca and she she says like something like, Well, uh, I, I didn't understand what you said. And I say, Oh you're right. I have to think about the the way I'm gonna ask my spectator mm-hmm. to to do some stuff, because sometimes they're nervous. Sometimes they they're like worried. They don't want to to screw things up for you. Yeah. And one one thing Bianca Bianca always says to me is, Bob, people are watching you, and they most of them, of course, want you to succeed. Mm-hmm. They want to see a good show. Yeah. Yeah. They don't want to. Of course, you can have a magician who's <laughs> trying to. <laughs> Like trying to uh, hoping that you screw things up, but most of your audience are willing to watch, especially they if want... they paid to yeah, see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They want that to be yeah. good. They don't want to be uh, frustrated at the end. Yeah. Okay. And of course, comedy is a very complicated thing because today, nowadays, we have lots of comedian magicians. Yeah. And. Um, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. difficult for for you to find a a, a balance mm-hmm. where you can do good comedy and good magic. It's difficult in Brazil. We have a lot of comedian magicians who, if I can say that, are not good magicians. Yeah, and either good comedians. Yeah, and that's the problem because yeah. if you're a good comedian and you go there and do some magic tricks, okay, make you make people laugh. Okay, magic was a tool. You you use them, use that. But when the guy is not even a good comedian, you it's should be, just you should, an abomination. Yeah, it's just an abomination. It looks like a thing, right? Yeah. People wants to do comedy, and comedy is not for everyone. As yeah. as much as everything else, you know, you have to understand your art. If you are a comedian. You go study com- comedy. You yes. go read, watch, and and be a comedian. Yeah, I don't think I don't I don't I don't think magic works this way. For me, it I for me I think that magic is one thing, comedy is another thing. Of course, you can be a comedian and do some tricks. I don't know, and you can do. Of course, you can do magic and be funny. Yeah. Okay. But there, there is this type of person who, who doesn't know what they want to be. Yeah. Do I want to be a comedian? Do I want to be a magician? And if they also they, don't know what's good about those two things. Yeah. So when they combine them, it's just it's, bad. Yeah. You have a lot of that. Yeah. Unfortunately. But what can you do? I think, I mean, going back to the meritocracy thing, like, I, I'm a huge stand-up comedy nerd. I love stand-up comedy. Yeah, me um, too. And, you know, comedy is one of those things that's one of those few art forms that is not nearly as subjective as the other ones. Yeah. 
You know, everybody can feel a different way about a piece of music, but if a comedian makes you laugh, he made you laugh. Yeah. You you couldn't help it. You emitted yeah. this sound. That's interesting. And, you know, uh, my favorite comedian has a bit about magic, and he's like, you don't have a sound, you know? You do this incredible, amazing magic trick, and now the spectator's like, oh, wow! <laughs> yeah. You know, they don't know how to respond. Yeah. And I think that that's really interesting. Um, another another weird thing is that like sometimes the best response you can get is no response or silence. Yeah, maybe you know you're it's, right. It's not a holy shit. How did you do that? It's a like yeah. Whoa. You know? <laughs> I, I look for that. Yeah. When you do a magic trick, when yeah, and you you leave your audience speechless. Mm -hmm. I think that's the best the best thing you can do, especially like. You know, it, it all comes back to the atmosphere that you create, yeah, that magical yeah. atmosphere. Yeah, eventually, if you're if you're doing uh, a piece of magic that is very calm and very slow, you cannot expect your audience to like jump explode, the table, yeah. explode. Exactly. Yes. So, uh, I think I prefer the the other the other reaction, yeah. the calm yeah. reaction, probably because 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 your audience is going to mirror you. They're going to have the same energy that you have. Yeah. In most, probably yeah. most but circumstances. Thinking, thinking about the, the, the comedy process that you, that you said about people can, uh, cannot uh, think about the comedy. They react. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking about magic when I was writing that, that piece of text that I'm, I was talking to you that maybe become a book someday about the magic experience. Uh, I was thinking about the how the magic happens and why is why is it so complicated? Like, I think in a way I'm developing that thought still, but it's gonna lead to some place. I hope <laughs> magic is a, a cyclic process, so you present them and you need them to think about that mm -hmm. to uh, elaborate to that work so imagine you do a trick okay okay it goes to your spectators brain okay they need to process that otherwise it's not going to be complete so your magic depends on the brain processes of your of your spectator yeah differently from art or comedy for instance you hit them and they react it's yeah. automatic yeah and the same with art and music you listen and you feel on the same moment so the music, and of course, I'm not uh, distinguishing between between um, performing arts, of course, and arts that I can say that they already exist, like a music that is recorded or, sure, or an yeah. art that was painted. Yeah. I'm talking about performing arts. So when you play your music, a musician playing a cello, for instance, yeah. playing on a stage, they hit a note, and the note hits you and that's that's done yeah the work is done the the comedian say a joke that joke hits you and it works yeah of course if you have a more subtle uh, humor maybe you will need a, a, a more more time to process that but usually when a, 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 co a comedian say a good joke yeah the audience respond do you think Magic. that has to do with it, well, yeah, I feel like what you were about to say is that yeah. magic takes a while in their head. Magic right? doesn't end yeah. when it hits your spectator. That's yeah. the, the whole point. Yeah. For magic to happen, you need 
the process. Because they need to understand that what you have done is impossible. Otherwise, it's not magic. Yeah. It's just a, uh, a neat trick or something. Puzzle. A puzzle, yeah. yeah. So the problem with magic is this for me. The magic experience is complicated because of this, because of this process. So it doesn't end. It, 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 almost, uh, it is almost like as if your, your magic, your thinking about your, your performance, your, your effect goes out of you. Go to your spectator's brain and become and come back to you in a form of a circle. I'm thinking about this idea. I'm just developing as I, as I told you. But this is important because when we're thinking about magic and uh, where is magic going right now and TV magic, which is a whole separate thing and make um, TV magic makes all magicians talking about the TV magicians, what they do, is it magic, is TV, what is it? And this is, this is very important because we have to think about this experience, this circle, this circle you know? Mm -hmm. When your spectators watching something being done for them is something. When your spectators watching something's being done for another spectator is another thing. Yeah. So when I watch uh, Darren Brown performing for somebody, I have to relate I have to think that, I have to accept that that person could be me. Yeah. And that's the problem with TV magic. You cannot, you cannot be certain of that. Yeah. And uh, there's too many layers too between, many you, layers and between you and what's happening. Exactly. But it's the same on a, on a, a large stage as, as Darren Brown's shows, for instance. You're sitting over there, he throws the, the stuff that you imagine, of course, uh, is. I could have caught it. I, I could have Exactly. I could have caught that. And uh, but the magic is not happening with you, uh, of course. I'm talking about the specific effect that happens for that people, and you're just watching. You're just a witness of what's happening. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's the the complexity of the magic effect that I that I sometimes try to figure it out when I'm creating some stuff. When I do this, how my spectator is going to react to that? Does he need a, a mental process? Uh, no, so uh, I can do that. So yes, he needs to think about the the nature of the things that I'm using. Yeah. So I have to think more. So let's let me change the the, the placements of stuff or the story. I don't know why I started talking about this specifically. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you also have to think about like is the person actually helping me having a different experience than the one that in the audience, and yeah. then how do I make those as similar as possible? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, magic is a, it's a fascinating thing. And I love because of that. I love magic because of all these layers. Like, as I told you, deception is a, a, a so interesting subject. Mm -hmm. And magic has all... The, and, 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 I, and I can say that I like to, to challenge some concepts already written by, by authors. Like, I've read something about... Magic is not deception. Magic is controlled perception. And I said, man, that's beautiful. Yeah. But, there is a, there is a giant but. <laughs> Magic is not controlled perception. What you're doing is, if you are doing an illusion, you are doing deception. So magic is deception. There's no way of trying to say that, oh, magic is not deception. 
magic is controlled perception. But if you're controlling perception to achieve an illusion, you are fooling, you are deceiving. Yeah. So there's no, you, you cannot separate those things. Yeah. Magic is deception. It needs to be deception. Because even when you're saying that some stuff, like you, I, 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 was, uh, I was in a vibe like, I try to do that sometimes to tell the truth. So when I'm doing magic to my spectators using a memorized tag, I say them, you see these cards, okay, I'm gonna shuffle them and uh, and then I say that I'm memorizing. I, I don't say, I just look at, I look for the cards and I close the cards. I already have this memorized. <laughs> I'm not lying to them. Yeah. I try to tell them the yeah, truth. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think I, yeah, I think there there probably are some tricks that you could say are controlled yeah, perception. Yeah, Definitely. yeah, yeah. But like any any sort of miscalling a card, that's straight up deception. You're yeah. just lying to them. You're just lying. So yeah. But when we when we think of the nature of the word deception, mm -hmm. it, it's it is a word with it's like mm, a negative connotation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, but it shouldn't be, uh, of course, in in, the, in these terms. Yeah, uh, illusions are deceptions. You are if you are producing them, if you are making something that looks like another thing, mm -hmm. you are deceiving. Thus, it is deception. Yeah, not in so, a malevolent way. Yeah, but you're actively taking advantage of the way someone perceives them. Yeah, yeah, so but I'm not I'm, I'm not talking about the 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 what word do you use for for connotation? I'm yeah. not I'm not trying to think of the negative connotation for mm -hmm. the word for, for the word deception. Um, <laughs> look look at uh, Hilton. And uh, I'm not I'm not talking about the negative connotation I'm talking yeah. about the real meaning of the word deception yeah and um, well yeah and I agree and that yeah that's kind of what I was trying to say yeah yeah <laughs> I agree with you um, let's see how long we've been going do you feel good yeah yeah me too let's see um, we've done I think it's hard to tell because it's three different tracks that I'm gonna have to piece together later okay, because of the interruptions. If you, if you have another another subject you want to talk already, you yeah, if you, yeah, I would like to. Um, then you can cut some stuff that I said. <laughs> no problem. Uh, yeah, you can go. Oh no, he's not. <laughs> you be careful, okay? Hmm. Oh, I wanted to ask you about. Um, I wanted to ask you about your show that you want to do, because. I, and I don't know. I don't know how interesting this would be or how well it would do, but I know that there are comedians that do. You know, aspects of prop like Dimitri Martin does prop comedy. And he does musical comedy, and he does just telling jokes all in one show. Yeah. And people like Bo Burnham, who, yeah. you know, his whole show is exactly scripted. And there's, you know, apparent gaffes, there's music, there's, you know, the, all this different kind of stuff. I, I wonder if there's 
a place for that in an overall magic show. Like Bo and Demetri are overall comedy shows, but they have these other aspects that kind of reflect the comedy. Is there a way to do a magic show where you play the guitar and it's not cheesy? Oh, know? that's interesting. I've come up with an idea before, yeah. before coming to L.A. Because people, people ask me, like, Man, you should you should you should put these things together. Like you should put the music and the guitar. I have friends of mine doing a show in Brazil. I, I've just just seen the um, the ad for the show, and they're both musicians, and one of them play the saxophone, the other the guitar, and I don't know how, how that's gonna work. But before I'm I'm coming to Los Angeles, I started thinking about an idea of using the guitar, but it's a secret. I'm not gonna tell anyone. <laughs> Because I'm developing the, the effect. Mm -hmm. But I think it's not going to be cheesy. It's got to be cool. Yeah. But it took me a long time to think about that. I, and, I, and actually, I don't know why I came up with this idea. Because I maybe... You know, one of the things that I find very difficult in Brazil, especially in my town, is cool places to perform. Mm -hmm. Like very classy stuff. We don't have that kind of stuff. Like when I see some magicians performing some pictures like on Europe, I don't know, England, lots of cool places with beautiful architecture and lighting and wooden wood floor and this kind of stuff. And we don't have that kind of stuff so easy. So I was imagining myself performing at the castle. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, I can schedule a performance on Magic Castle maybe next year we'll try and then I was imagining me on that room mm -hmm. okay that place beautiful and the chairs and the curtains and the carpet and I was trying to feel the vibe and I don't know maybe I I, th I thought of the guitar at the time and I created an, uh, an idea using uh, a blues player and deal with the devil or something like that and um, but this is the first time I think so I, I, I'll probably if I do that for the show uh, uh, on that show that I'll probably be writing when I'm come when I come back I'll probably put that on the show because it feels good it feels uh, the idea is, is, is beautiful but but you know the problem with me is that you know at this point, you already know my, my, my line of thought. I like to do things the best way possible. And I, and I really have a hard time trying to put all the, the parts of what I'm thinking together. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to be doing a magic show in whatever place, you know? Yeah. So I don't want to... I don't know how to set a mood in, a, you know, a white light kitchen floor stuff I don't know yeah. how to explain that to you but at a hotel eventually a hotel conference room or something I don't want that yeah I want because I believe in the magic experience I believe in the magic um, magical atmosphere and I cannot create that without this other stuff that I have no I have no control you know, I have control about my magic, my text, my music. Of course, I can, I can have control of that. But not the venue. Yeah. If I don't find the right place to perform, oh, 
And that's, it just won't, the show won't be correct. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm like fighting. And that's one of the reasons that I, I take too long to, to put off my stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I always think of, oh, this way is not good, so I'm not going to do it right now. I'm going to wait for a little longer. Yeah. And maybe that's the reason why I did not, why I did not um, made a show because every time I start thinking about this kind of stuff, I get so frustrated and I stop. So I was writing, the, the, the whole idea behind the show is lies, as I told you, is deception and how people are deceived and stuff like that. And I was writing and I stopped and started thinking like, okay, I don't think to, to take too long on this part. Let me think, how am I going to turn this into a show? Yeah. Where am I going to do that? And I started thinking, there's no place to do that. But uh, I'll pro- probably find that out because I have some different friends right now and people who are involved in theaters and such and things and things like that. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll make things happen, at least in Brazil. <laughs> and then I bring the show to the US. I don't know. I uh, look forward to seeing the guitar yeah, yeah. piece. Yeah, you like that. I, I think like you it. like that. It's um, a good idea. I, I can I can tell you something after uh, after the podcast. Okay, <laughs> let's go ahead and finish up because Dave is about to be back, and I'm sure he's going to make a lot of noise. Okay. But there's I I want to finish with this. This is like a quick little question to finish with. Okay. What is the hardest time you've ever been fooled? I mean, just like really badly fooled. Do you do you do you have a memory of just being Totally blown away. Oh, let me. Maybe. I have and to I, say. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I have to say, Helder, probably in Rio 2008. He's so cool in the stuff he, that he does. And um, it's probably the, the routine that he teaches on. I don't think. What's the first one? Small, Small miracles. miracles. Probably the, the Aces and Kings. And Queens, I don't remember, and I, I performed that, and uh, I, I, you know, probably know that the ones that the equi- equilibrium thread, you yes. know that? Yes. Man, when I watched that, it was like uh, I said, no, that's not possible. <laughs> that's just impossible. That feeling of knowing that that was impossible that I didn't know at the time that theory. Sure. Uh, yeah. But when I watched that, it was like, man, I'm gonna, uh, I want to do that. I want to learn that. And oh, I think this, and every, every single thing of Darren Brown, I'm a big fan of Darren Brown. And uh, when I watched like uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes, I was blown away. Like I watched that and I watched every single show of, of Darren Brown. And he's, an, but mainly because of his performance. He's a, such an amazing performer. Absolutely. And in spite of all the magic being excellent, of course, I'm a magician. I can't imagine all methods for everything, but he's such a good performance, performer. And uh, every time I watch some of this stuff, I get angry at first. <laughs> and then I feel like, man, this guy's good. <laughs> but in, in, but in, in person, I think Helder in 2008 with the equilibrium thread I think that's the name right? yep yeah, yeah. 
Well, thank you so much. This was awesome. Thank you very much. I had much. such a great time. Great thank you for doing it. I'm oh, so glad you were able to make yeah, it out here. So glad to, to, to do that. Thank you for the invitation. Of course. Thank you, man. <laughs>